0: Okay, Ms. Black, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Ready to go, babe? Yep. Let's go! Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. We're going. Ready? Hi, Hi. This is For the Girls Podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. I'm Jason Black. Um, this is a podcast about queer people who are fans of iconic, beautiful, talented, dynamic women in the performing arts.
1: Uh, this is a uh, podcast for queers. Who are always crowing.
0: This is a podcast for divas who love dogs more than their lying, cheating, scheming, stealing husbands.
1: This is a podcast for people who want to hear us talk about the most essential 650 songs of all time.
0: This is a podcast for women who won't leave the house even when they're offered the greatest honors of all time.
1: I mean, you already did one, but this this is my last. This is so stupid. This is a podcast for doggies. Woof, woof.
0: <laughs> this is a podcast for divas who put the sweet in sweetheart. <gasps> who do we have today? We have today actor extraordinaire all the way from the United Kingdom. Christopher international. Logan. international. Our International. <laughs> our first London guest. From, oh, what an honor. From directly from the directly from the stages of the globe and the national and the sheffield crucible iconic yeah. stage star christopher <laughs> logan hi chris
2: hello how are you doing what an honor to be asked to be part of this marvelous podcast
0: welcome welcome who is your diva who are we hinting at uh it's the delicious delectable doris day my hero <sighs> Can you tell us, Chris, tell us where it started? Where did you find Actually, her... tell us where
1: you are. We're saying we're international. Yeah, where so are, we are you haven't right said now. where yeah. you are. I mean, this is for the Girls First International podcast. Where are you?
2: Well, I'm actually in County Wicklow in a place called Greystones, a beautiful little seaside town, um, staying with my sister and her hus- new husband's uh, family, which is lovely. But I'm normally based in London. So you're right. Yeah, I'm normally in London. But alas... It ain't gone. Nothing going on there at the moment. So here I am, back in Ireland.
0: Well, we're huge in Ireland too. We love all of our Irish fans. (laughs) We love all of the Irish Battle Angels. Mm. So, Chris, where did you where
2: Doris Day? How? When?
0: What? Why?
2: Wow. Where to begin? When you approached me to be on this podcast, I, I I tried to remember when my first memory might have been of Doris, but actually, I feel like she's been with me since the day I was born in a weird way I feel like I don't remember like a a moment so to speak but I suppose um your first
1: childhood words were quick case (laughs) or
2: pretty much or make man set. what that baby say no what did that baby just say (laughs) uh no yeah but I I think calamity Jane is one of the earliest memories of a film let alone a Doris Day film and I probably didn't know, I have a clue what was going on. I was probably about four, but I rem- I just remember being absolutely mesmerised by this ball of energy and this woman who was having the best time <laughs> on a big uh, stagecoach and belting out these great tunes and taking no prisoners with the men. Like she was really giving giving them what for. So I was like, who is this amazing, <laughs> strong? feisty, funny, beautiful woman who can sing like an angel.
3: Take me back to the Black Hills The Black Hills of Dakota To the beautiful Indian country That I love Lost my heart in the black the black hills of Dakota, where the pines are so high that they kiss the sky above. And when I get that lonesome feeling, and a miles away from home. I hear the voice of the mystic mountains calling me back home. So take me back to the Black
2: And then I found out more about her and explored her incredible CV, which um, has managed to cross every possible uh, facet of this business that we're all in.
0: I think you hit some, on something so perfect with Calamity Jane. She genuinely seems like she is having the best time when she's performing.
2: Oh my god, yes, totally. Well, she said in an interview, she says and she said it in her book, she says, that is the closest you'll you'll get of seeing me in a film. It's the closest to her. She's literally playing herself. That's what she said.
3: I just blew in from the windy city. The windy city is mighty pretty but the got we got no siree They got shacks up to seven stories Never see any morning glories But a step from our doorway We got them for free They got those minstrel shows Purdy ladies in the big chapeaus Private lawns, public parks For the sake of civic virtue They've got fountains there that squirt you I just flew in from the Windy City. The Windy City is mighty pretty, but they ain't got what we got. I'm telling you, boys, we got more life in Deadwood City than in all of Illinois.
0: She's having such a ball, and they're so... I didn't know a lot about Doris Day before doing the research for this episode. And every once in a while, we do one of these, and I start truly becoming a fan while doing the work. And this is really an example of one of those times. Like, I just didn't know. I'm so pleased. I was just ignorant about her. You know, I had seen, I knew who she was and I had seen things. I knew a brief sketch and I read the obit when she passed away last year, but I didn't know hmm. the depth or the breadth of what she was able to do.
2: To be honest, Nick and Jason, uh, not many people do. I think she's one of these people that people have made their minds up about. And I think it's only—I think it's going to be ten years down the line when she will get reevaluated and get the credit she very much deserves. Because I think people just—well, I've spent my whole life defending her to people in the business who, when I say, "Oh, Jack Lemon and Doris Day were the reasons I became an actor," they go, "Oh, yeah, Jack Lemon, yeah, but Doris Day, really? Oh, she's naff and she's..." You know, I was like, "No, I, I've spent my entire life defending her, <laughs> so she's very precious, and um, she's got me through a hell of a lot of stuff." So, I, I and you really do need to explore her her back catalogue. Not only her brilliant films, although she did make some absolute, absolute appalling crap. She was always really good in it, <laughs> in them. But um, her amazing recordings alone—if she had just done recordings she would still be one of the greatest vocalists of of the 20th century. I could... I mean, I really... This is the first time I've actually spoken to anyone at length about Doris because there's only about... I think I've got three friends, Jenna Organ, Emma Conniff and Ben Wishaw. who they're the three that have... Uh, the patience of a saint and have indulged me in this. I've dragged them to the British Film Institute to see Doris. We've talked about the albums. I've sent them recordings of her. It's She's one of those people. I think people want to talk about Judy. People want to talk about Stritch. And, of course, that's and Barbara and all these people who are I love very much. But I think Doris has... People are snooty about her. She's not as hip or she's not as... She she didn't do those. She hasn't got stories about her people.
0: Well, there's an element of her that isn't cool, right? There's an element of her that's square at a time when coolness was rising in the 60s.
2: Yeah, she's not a Joan Crawford. She's not a, she, the crews, oh, everyone loved her on the film sets. Uh, oh my gosh, Joan
0: Crawford, the coolest lady, <laughs> the hippest of the hip.
1: But there is something that, that these women have been embraced by the gay culture through camp mm. or through retrospectives. And I do wonder, Doris Day just didn't, when, when she stopped, she stopped. And she didn't give much people uh, a chance to give her a retrospective
2: no that's true I suppose um she 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 walked away at like pretty much she still had a lot of lot more to give I think but she walked away at the top of her game and didn't look back really I don't think she missed it she might have said that the odd time in an interview but I think she was happy she'd had her sickening of human beings I think all her life she'd been treated so badly by people that I think she found the four-leggers the ones that didn't let you down and I think, I think she had a great life at the end, which she deserved because by God, she'd worked for it and she'd been treated so badly by pretty much everyone in the business. By that husband, that husband
0: and that lawyer.
4: Oh
2: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. One.
0: All of her husbands were terrible, but it was the third mm. one who was the real work, right? Tell us about that. What happened?
2: Well, I think the first one was a, was a real peach. He, he, he was, uh, he was a monster battering her, he battered her when she was pregnant because she wouldn't have an abortion, and then he battered her so much to in case, to induce the baby to kill the baby and that's the side. i mean you don't equate that with Doris day do you that's the that's the thing that her life is actually quite a quite a story would make a great film um so yes yeah, she she walked away she'd married at seventeen and had a child with this awful musician. And then the second one didn't want to know her uh, after he walked off because he didn't like being known as Mr. Doris Day. And then the third one, yeah, the third one you're talking about, Marty Melcher, who's, a, I think, a real pig of a man. He was her manager. And uh, Sinatra had him barred from the set of Young at Heart because he spotted mm-hmm. him and knew that he was bad news and tried to warn her, as stood so many people in the business. But she was in love with him and didn't see any of these problems until he died and once he died yeah he she found she hadn't a penny to her name he had squandered all her money in dodgy dealings and the i mean she had millions and millions and she hadn't had yeah been. she
0: was the i mean she was for people who don't know doris day was the biggest box office star in the 1950s she was only the only other person who ever matched her earning power at the box office was shirley temple She was really the star of stars. You know, the top... She was one of the first women who would get top billing above routine male co-stars. And Mm. she was a a giant. She was like the Julia Roberts of the 1950s.
2: Totally, totally. And people forget that. I think people resented her being so versatile, I think. I wanted to keep her in her little box to play in Gingham and do all those Gordon McRae films. (laughs)
5: Picture you upon my little knee, just T for two and two for tea.
3: Me for you, you for me alone. Nobody near us to see us or hear us. No friends or relations on weekend vacations.
5: We won't have it known, dear That we own a telephone Oh, I hate telephone me too
3: Day will break And I'll awake And start to bake A sugar cake
5: For me to take To all the boys to see Oh, we
3: a boy for you, a little girl for me. Can't you see how happy we would
2: be? I don't think she wanted well, to like explore. One of, that's
1: one of my obsessive things Are on that Johnny Carson interview, where, she, mm-hmm. where he was like, why did you write that book? Why did you write your autobiography? And she says...
6: One other thing may be that I was always, you know, the image has been so boring. You know, the virgin... And the goody two shoes and all the nonsense, which is, you know, it's not human. and i I wanted to straighten the record. And um
7: Oscar Levant's remark has been quoted over and over again, and probably virgin. until you're almost sick of it. But it was a funny, funny remark. He was a funny yeah. man. And he said, "I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. she was a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean that funny. that's funny. No, that's funny. And funny. And it's that... funny.
6: But you know, in my films, I don't know how that happened, where it came from. Because I, I was married in most of my films, had children in most of my films, and if you can be a virgin and do that.
7: That's a remarkable. I mean, I, I,
6: remarkable. I, I, how, do you, how do you work that out?
7: Do you think it's maybe because of the uh, of the sexual farce type of comedy? You know, you played where it was kind of, played coy-coy, maybe yeah. that kind of...
6: I suppose. Yeah. Everything was left to the imagination. They were a little bit sexy, yeah. the comedies with... Rock Hudson and, and Jimmy Garner.
7: That was very, uh, when, when that Pillowtop, for example, was made and you had the uh, scene where the feet in, in bathtubs oh, and the feet t- were footsies. up against footsies. That oh, was very footsies. daring, wasn't it?
6: It was then. Now it's boring. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess, I don't know.
7: Have you seen some of the things that they put out nowadays? Not many. Really? No,
6: I, I really haven't. I don't dig it.
7: Well, Are you intrigued by it just to see it so you'll know what it's about? i go only
0: because... Oh, is that a
6: cop? No, no. Oh! I research. don't care about I, it but I just want
0: to see what's going on. I, it was so many men's view of her. I so many interviews you watch these men like love to use double entendre about her like it's sex gross. life or her her being a virgin. It was all them projecting their sexual desires of who they wanted her to be onto her yeah. in this very fucked up way.
2: Yeah. Totally, it's quite an unpleasant watch. That it's the same interview we're talking about—the one with the she's surrounded by them on this chat show. It's not the Johnny mm-hmm. Carson.
8: <laughs> what is there about you now? I, I, I've, I've been looking through the book. I've read about half of it. That doesn't make you the girl next door.
6: I don't know what the girl next door is or well, who
8: we, we've just described. What it.
6: does she do? What kind, is she a virgin? I, I don't, you know, they they say that about me, and um, I don't. I think maybe it's the way I look. Is that what it could be?
8: Definitely. Steve described it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You really do have that, that look about you, that fresh-grud um, look. The uh,
1: American concentration on Hollywood always insists on reaching into any time area and pulling
5: out a girl next door. Betty Grable was a girl next door for a while.
6: Betty Grable?
5: Well, you and I know her, you know, but I mean, on the screen, I'm talking about the image, you know.
6: You think she was? Yeah, she I was think so, of, yeah. She was
8: kind of pure on the screen. She wasn't on the, on the screen. Oh, oh. I don't
6: know what she Oh, was. no, no. I don't I don't really know her. I mean I didn't know her.
5: Uh, she was a great but gal.
6: I thought that she was sort of a, a you know, kind of a sex symbol. Well, she
5: became the pin-up, you know, the cute little picture over her back and stuff.
1: But I think she had that kind of regular gal quality. Ginger Rogers was another in that yeah, category going exactly. back
8: farther.
6: Well, we look uh, similar. Yeah. Ginger. Mm-hmm. and uh,
8: Yeah. But you said you're not the girl next door. Why? Why aren't you the girl next door?
6: i Mike. I didn't say that. Well, I said I don't know. I don't know who the girl next door ah. is. I, I really don't.
8: You can we talk about your your three marriages, which were very much of a disappointment to you? As you if you'd like, it in the book? sure.
6: Would you like to do that?
8: Yes, I would. Okay. You, you described it in the book, especially the the first marriage was not only a disappointment but there was a great deal of sadness attached. It to it. It was horrendous.
2: Yes, it was. It's three men sat round her, telling her what she, what her image is, and she just looks at them. She never loses her poise. She's kind of classy. She, yeah, I, I like the way she it's handles. It's really them.
0: ironic too, because I mean, she's so she has this steely, steely center, no fucks so to give. D- yeah, it's so different than what everyone totally. said Doris Day was like to me, which was this kind of cotton candy floaty. I almost came in expecting like a Betty Grable thing of her. Uh-uh. And she's incredibly steely. She's much more like mm. a, an Ingrid Bergman or someone. She has this mm. spine about her. And yes, she totally. has blonde hair and she's beautiful and a beautiful singing voice. But she's mm. a fucking tough broad.
2: Yeah. That's why I think it shocked people when she got to play the dramatic roles. She didn't get it very often, but when she did, by God, didn't she run with it? <laughs> and she was opposite like the greatest actors in, of that era, like Cagney and uh you know, um uh, Clark Gable and Cary Grant, all these and she more than held her own. Uh, I mean, that's that's quite an achievement oh, in itself. she fucking
0: wipes the
2: floor Wives with the floor with
0: <laughs> in uh, in love me or leave me she's amazing in that film let's okay let's just this was my big revelation we watched love me or leave me and it oh, was just I it. everything she I right. mean, it's her a star is born
2: yeah totally totally it's it's what what should have happened when she was she got stuck in the Warner Brothers musicals which were a bit always very cheaply made she should have been an MGM because when she got Love Me or Leave Me's MGM and you can tell the production values the leading man the the costumes the songs the script everything is just it's just gone up a gear and she totally runs with it it's an extraordinary performance and it's disgusting that she didn't get an Oscar nomination for that let alone win one. And she wasn't And Cagney got a nomination that year, but she didn't, which is really sad. That,
0: that's mm. so crazy. Her You Made Me Love You <gasps> is so remarkable in this movie, mm. and it's a song mm. that I know from Judy and from Bette. Yeah, but hers is like she completely reinvented that song for me. In totally,
3: totally. You made me love you. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do it You made me want you And all the time you knew it I guess you always knew it You made me happy sometimes And you made me glad But there were times, dear, you made me feel so bad. You made me sigh for, I didn't want to tell you, I didn't want to tell you. some love It's true Yes I do deed I do You know I do Gimme Gimme What I cry for You've got the brand of Kisses
2: That I
3: die for You know Love you. You know you made me love you.
1: I think that that's one of the reasons why, because I was telling a friend that we were doing Doris Day and she's like oh mm. i know who that is and i said okay we'll name name some stuff <laughs> <laughs> and she couldn't and i think mm. there is there is a sense of that she is that she is so woven into the fabric of mm. pop culture but at the same time because all of these songs are such a are such songbook you know uh, classic songs that it's hard to separate if though if it her stamp or her or her that some of these
0: are originally her
1: songs.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, she originated so much of this material and how many number one hits like seven or eight.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not number yeah.
0: ones. It's, you know, a recording career that is is in the likes of like a, a Mariah Carey for her day.
2: Mm. I think she's, I think she's only beaten by Ella Fitzgerald in the amount, the sheer volume of work of albums alone. I mean, she covered pretty, if, if there's a song from the American Songbook, she'll have done it pretty much. I mean, I could Six hundred and fifty.
1: I mean, I didn't even know there was 650 songs in the world. Now she's I know. She's recorded
0: 650 songs?
1: Yes. At least, I look at that, it's on the Wikipedia, Wicca doesn't lie. It is, <laughs> six, they say, at least 650 songs. Now there's that many songs in the world, and I guess there's a little bit more, because I don't, I don't think she's done a Rihanna
0: song. Um so there oh, has she could to be some more. She should have. <laughs> she Doris so Day would do have. a mean umbrella. Shut up
2: and oh, drive. So. Shut up and drive. <laughs> or in Adele, she'd be great in Adele. I think she would have smashed a few of Adele songs.
0: Oh she totally would have smashed some Adele songs What's your favourite standard That you think she Like reforms in a way That is very singular to Doris Day That she like rips from the hands Of Ella or Sarah Or whoever
2: Oh god Are um, oh, there so many I literally could list so many um, The one that springs to mind is, It's the Elvis song Which everyone can't help falling in love with you And mm. she yeah. really Makes it her own um I think I listened to that a lot that one.
3: Why is men say only fools rush in. But Sin
2: I mean she does all the Gershwin you Life is just There's a ball of cherries. others.
1: Aww. Life yep, is just a ball of cherries. We're going to through each one of them. So buckle up, girls. <laughs> oh, buckle I am, up, please. Bitches. Shut up and drive. <laughs> Here we go. Um,
0: now, I'm sorry. Earlier you mentioned your friends and how they would let you get into your Doris Day. I mean, this is partially why Jason and I made this podcast, as many people know, because our friends wanted us to shut the fuck up about Bette Midler. <laughs> so we decided to just give these musings to people on the Internet. But did you mention? You just we kind of let you slide over the fact that one of those friends is Paddington, the fucking bear,
2: Mr. Wishaw. Indeed, yeah, I trained with Ben, and he's one of my bestest friends. <laughs> oh, I love
0: Ben Wishaw. We uh, in fact, ben we Wishaw actually on one of the he's things him were for.
2: <laughs> one of the things we did on lockdown when done because he, he he only lived down the road. I was still in London at this point. Um, we decided to watch because he'd never seen it. That's so weird. He's just texting me this minute. <laughs> that's really weird must know we're talking about him so we he'd never seen calamity jane and i said well this is absolutely appalling we need to remedy this asap how dare you so we watched it at the same time or and had our had ourselves on our phones on whatsapp watch watch i was watching him watching it and then it felt like we were watching it together which we were technically but that and he loved it and then i took it took them years ago to see um There was a Doris Day retrospective at the BFI. And I've never been so happy in my life. Um, And I took them to see, a big gang of us went to see The Man Who Knew Too Much, because none of them had seen that. Mm. And all of them said, especially Ben, Ben, who loves Jimmy Stewart, said, Chris, you know how much I love Jimmy Stewart, but she made him look hammy in this film. She's so real, so truthful. She's... And I watched it again last night, and I just think it's an incredible performance, and it's way ahead of its, its It's not like anything you'd see from Susan Hayward or any of these other actresses of the time. She's just listening and reacting.
1: This was another one of my little gag facts from uh, doing our Doris Day uh, info dump, is finding out that Que Sera comes from an Alfred Hitchcock movie, that she originates in this very meaningful bizarrely deep way I actually when I was like uh, conversing with this with the girlfriend she's like my mom saw that when it came out and it became her karaoke song because it moved her so much and it's that's the kind of how she's so woven into the fabric of cinema that you know and and everyone else was like I thought that was just a standard you know but No. no like Doris Day laid all of this foundation
3: when I was just a little girl I asked my mother what will I be? Who will I be pretty? Who will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. K said us said
0: Be will be well, and that you get to see her do it these two very different ways in that film. You have the opening way that's just this cheery song that she's teaching to her son, and then later in the film, her son is kidnapped spoiler alert Hitchcock, non watchers, <laughs> and she has to sing it in this embassy so he can hear her. So that he, they can find him where he is. And I remember the first time I saw that; it's so eerie and scary. Days.
2: Days.
3: When I grew up and fell in love, I asked my sweetheart, "What lies ahead? Will we have rainbows day after day?" Here's what my sweetheart said. Case said, "I said, future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Que sera, sera. And
1: then the recording so poppy. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: Well, do you know that when she was.
0: She had two songs win the Oscar for best song. So it's kind of like she won the Oscar.
2: Kind of. Yeah. It's kind of sad that that film uh, won the Oscar for best song and she didn't get a nomination. It's kind of weird. Weird that that, that's the only thing they went, okay, that's the only thing that's good for.
0: It's actually one of these things nowadays where uh, the singers like Adele and Gaga are so, they have to get a songwriting credit. So that Gaga, when she when <laughs> shallows happen, and Gaga does write songs, and you know monsters yep. don't come at me, but <laughs> if it was today, Doris would have had a songwriting credit on Ra and she would have gotten to walk up and get that statuette herself. You know, yeah,
2: yeah. Maybe she was she didn't want to sing it initially. That's what really? I find hilarious. When Hitchcock, he he was determined to get a song into his this film because he wanted to really exploit her recording hits and stuff like that. Well uh, he got that written for the film <laughs> and when they played it to her she went, I'm not singing that. That's that's mm-hmm. like a child's nursery rhyme. I'm not singing that. And they talked around and then it bloody haunted her for the rest of her life. But she did joke about it later and say, What did I know? you know
3: Now I have children of my own. They asked their mother, what will I be? Will I be handsome? Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que será será. What will be, will be. Que será será.
0: I have this other version in my mind, like kind of a funny sketch version of The Man Who Knew Too Much where they kind of do recut it and she's just sitting at that fucking piano having to come up with random lyrics to case raw <laughs> because it's taking jimmy stewart so fucking long to find that kid <laughs> she's, just like, she's like i asked my dry cleaner what should i be or it's and like it my cuts- daughter's now
1: dead i ask my grandchildren <laughs> their, their I- dogs which i love what should be
2: And I always remember watching this bit, that bit in the film as a kid, and going, why are they so rude to Doris? The audience members, (laughs) they're all starting to look a bit shifty eyed and a bit like, oh, she's gone for another verse. Oh, God. (laughs) As as Jimmy Stewart sidles out the door, (laughs) she's still going. Yeah. When you watch it again, it's their reactions always was like, well, that's so rude. Maybe they wanted opera.
1: So, one of the things I think, you know, we were talking about and sharing is most divas do have a limited palette, you know? So like there was a time where I'm like, oh, have I showed you this Bette Midler clip? And they're like, yes, 500 times you resorted to this clip to try and prove uh, Her Excellency. That's the word I wanted to use. And, but with Doris Day, there's not just 650 songs, there's 650 movies. So it's kind of, I mean, when I was looking, I was like, ooh, this is overwhelming. Where do we begin? And so you, you were saying one of the beginnings t- uh, to show people is Calamity Jane. Where she's just pure joy and electrifying, and she and she, yep. like she said, she's like that's my role, that's who I am, that's who I really am is Calamity Jane. And then I got, and then obviously you would point to taking people to The Man Who Knew Too Much, her dramatic role. Yeah, uh, yep. mother who lost her child, and then what? So what else? What else would be the? Ne- what would be like the next thing that you would say? Okay, for if you now that you got a little nibbles, here's the full state
2: love me or leave me was an extraordinary role for her um and i think that's that's where she gets messy in a bit because in man and knew too much she's playing a mom and she's playing a good mom and but in love me or leave me she gets to drink and smoke and wear low cleavage and really shake up that gingham gordon mccray stereotype she'd been boxed into and it's just amazing to watch her just have a ball with it just run with it like and have the, the best opposite in Jimmy Cagney and the best songs. I think that's her best performance.
6: Why did you lie to Hunter? Oh, all in an uproar, huh? He's staying on the picture, Marty. Fine, fine.
7: Then they're pulling you off.
6: Hey, bud, you've gone crazy.
3: C- Are you out of your mind? What have you got against him? What has he done to you? Why? You're going off and that's that. Marty, listen to me, please. This is important. Don't do this. Don't spoil this picture. It's the first thing I've cared about since New York, and I don't want to lose it. I have to work, do you understand? I've got to. It's all I've got. Shut up. You're going to
7: work. Who said different? Only where I can keep an eye on you, so you don't get so many ideas, get so big. You're going to work here. You're going to open this joint. And there's going to be a sign. Martin Snyder presents Ruth Edding. That way, everybody will know who's boss. Like you know. Like you better know. No matter how much you scream and holler and carry on.
6: What's the matter, Marty? Are you afraid you're losing your grip?
0: She has such a quiet depression in that film. Like mm. from the beginning, she knows what she's doing is wrong. And mm. you just kind of watch it eat away at her through the whole thing. Mm. It's really, and she's so fucking subtle and nuanced about it.
2: It's beautiful. Yeah and I love it when she sings quietly at the piano with Cameron Mitchell that scene you know when she he's rehearsing the song with her and it's just it's just what I imagine her to be in a recording studio she just comes in and does it
3: I'll never stop loving you whatever else i may do my itself is the Question the stars that
2: are and then he just looks at her after she's sung the song And goes, wow <laughs> And I think that's what All the musicians loved her Everyone loved her And um, I, I, this is going to go back to calamity Jane But when they they came to record the album Ray Heindorf Who was the orchestration Doing the orchestrations He had scheduled the orchestra from one till four To do Secret Love And uh, she cycled on her bicycle I can just see her <laughs> cycling down to the studio and he said to her well the orchestra have been rehearsing all morning we're ready to go do you want to have a few run throughs with the orchestra she says no let's go for a take and that is the take
3: Once I had a secret love That lived within the heart of me All too soon my secret love Became impatient to be free So I told a friendly star The way that dreamers often just how wonderful you are, and why I'm so in love with you. Secret loves no secrets anymore.
2: Off she went, she did she laid the track down in one tick and said, Thanks guys. We got it. And that's the the one we hear. Wow. So isn't that a beautiful story? And then off she got on her bike wow. and went home.
1: <laughs> I feel like the two things I know about Doris Day is she still continued to bike all over Beverly Hills and she loves dogs. <laughs> I feel
0: like, uh, why was I not like, there? I saw
1: Doris Day on a bike. I <laughs> know.
0: Oh, <laughs> I did not know she was an epic bicyclist. She was I didn't a bicyclist know this about, about where her. People,
4: yeah,
1: there people were always spotting Doris Day just huffing on a bike with maybe a little puppy in the. <laughs> you, know, sure
2: you know, she had a little basket. You know, she had a little basket up front. Yeah, and a head scarf. I wish I'd been there. Oh, oh you've
0: got to, you've got to come to California and retrace her steps. You really need to do that trip, and then do a nice drive up to Carmel. It's so
2: oh. beautiful. Well, the dream was that when we we were a bit younger, me and my friend Emma, who mentioned, um, we had said, why don't we do a documentary about finding Doris? Uh, why don't we go to Carmel and do a documentary about it and see if she'll, if we wrap the door, she'll maybe just open it and show us her doll." And it was a nice thought. And then she died. So that went down the tubes. I do. I, I have heard, though, that, like, in Carmel,
1: she still will sit and stand in the grocery store for, like, hours talking to her fans. Like, she's very fan-oriented.
2: Oh, she um, she loved hmm. her fans. She loved it. She, she got really emotional when she spoke of her fans, actually. She, she adored them. Yeah, she was just a modest, So, so speaking about soul. this,
1: so how did you, how did you start getting her music back when you started getting into her? Like, How did you start acquiring it? All of these CDs, all of these 650 songs, where did you begin?
2: <laughs> when I was a kid, it would have been the Clamity J Pajama Game soundtracks. And then as I got older and uh, had listened to all those novelty songs and stuff, as I got older and I started to embrace her, like her Andre Previn album, which is, is just perfection, where she does jazz. And that's then tr- the, with the trio,
1: the, with the Andre Kevin trio album. Oh,
2: yeah. It's just you'd beautiful. love it. Oh, it's just beautiful. And then the one, that's that's one of the albums that I play to people, and they go, Oh my god, I thought she just sang like on Moonlight Bay and Tea for Two.
1: What's the song? <laughs> What's the hit?
2: Oh, all of it, but there's a great one called, um, well, there's two Remind Me, which is lovely, and Nobody's Heart.
3: Nobody's Heart belongs to me Hi-ho, who cares Nobody writes his songs to me No one belongs to me That's the least Maybe sad at times And disinclined to play But it's not bad at times To go your own sweet way Nobody's arms belong to me no arms feel strong to me I admire the moon As a moon Just a moon
0: Nobody's heart to me. Hey-ho,
2: who cares? <laughs> yeah, great songs
0: so you started acquiring them would you was it like a cd or a cassette situation or an lp situation
2: it was cassettes yes it was cassettes and then um, just a big a...
0: pile of doris day cassettes and were they yeah. reproducing them a lot in the 80s i imagine the 80s um
2: they're, they're... well no i had to get them from america some of them because britain weren't were not were hopeless i had i think i got one when i went to canada <laughs> I, I trolled all these like music shops and finding and then it was like finding the holy grail bringing it back
0: <laughs> which section would she be in
2: oh the easy listening yeah of course easy listening yeah my favorite section
1: <laughs> the best section yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. what were your parents
1: yeah. like i mean that's 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 what were your parents saying
2: um i think they were well Mum was into buddy holly and uh every brothers so we had that and country and then dad was uh, Perry Como, Frank Sinatra, Bobby Down. So I had that sort of kind it was of. was just a family bit. of
1: classics. You were just into the lineage.
2: Pretty much. Yeah, there was no skipping that kind of era of music.
0: It's so funny when you're talking about her sweetness, her sweet. When we're talking about the sweetheart stature of it all and the real tragedies in her life. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the car accident. She was originally going to be a dancer until she was in a car that was struck by a train on the fucking railroad tracks and she shattered her right leg. Yeah. So she couldn't be a dancer. She had these abusive husbands. There is that element that reminds me of a little gay boy, which is like, okay, I've got all this sadness, all this well of deep, deep sadness and let me just sing as sweetly as I can over it.
2: Totally you know, yeah, there's yeah. something
0: about Doris that reminds me of that. There's that tension because in every mm. every role I see her do, I'm like, oh, she's so sad.
2: Yeah, yeah. Underneath it all, yeah. I think she, she, she there's so few sad songs that she actually recorded. But I know you mean there's like sad sadness there. I think she she purposefully chose songs that of- weren't. She never did a torch song really apart from when she was in Love Me or Leave Me. Mm. And yeah, I was listening to some of her more her later stuff. And even then, she didn't really go down the road of like a Judy Garland. She never sang The Man Who Got Away or anything like that. It was always about keep going and looking up. And yeah, he was a bastard. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. It's all about looking forward.
1: I feel like it's not just sadness, but like a steely cool. Like she does the least pompous you'll never walk alone that I've ever heard
2: yeah,
0: yeah totally. i love
1: least pompous the least pompous <laughs> cool it's always kind of coolest deal this okay okay read me for filth if i'm wrong but there's something about uh in both her acting and singing it's like she's acting like she's not acting and she's kind of singing like she's not singing Does that make sense? It's kind of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I can do these things. It's kind of that Frank Sinatra thing, right? Where it's like, oh, he's barely doing it. But when you try to mimic it, it's impossible because there is so much like control and breath there that, that like is effortless. And that's the kind of ease that she gives me. She, she seems to have like such a through line to everything that she's doing, just like a, a real genuine focus. And she's not fussy about anything. There's like a distillation.
3: Walk on through the wind. Walk on. Walk on with hope in your heart.
0: Rock Hudson of it
2: all. Oh, her beloved Rock.
0: So in the what in the early 60s, they made these three films together, yeah?
2: Yeah. Pillow Talk, Send Me New Flowers, and Lover Comeback. And you can just see two bestest friends just having a ball, can't you? It just comes across, doesn't it, on the screen, the chemistry. And they're having, the having laugh, so much fun have. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching Pillow Talk he today just such... for this. And it, I just, I realized I, I, I was, I'd been smiling for an hour without, <laughs> I had just a beam just watching them and the way he sends her up. And when he plays the prank on her that she think he thinks he's playing the Texan and he's trying not to laugh and all that. It's beautiful. And he's he had, so
0: fucking sexy in that movie. I can't even take it.
2: Totally. Totally. And he had said he he had no confidence in comedy and he was really worried about doing that film. And Uh, she gave him the confidence and it shows they look so at ease, so at ease. Hello?
5: Miss Morrow, my name is Brad Allen. Yes? I've been advised by the phone company that there's a code number for our party line. It's 793. Now, if you have any future complaints to make, I suggest you dial it and complain to me personally.
6: Why, Mr. Allen, if I hadn't complained, the inspector would never have found out how uh, cooperative you are.
5: Miss Morrow, why are you so fascinated with my personal affairs?
6: I'm not fascinated, Mr. Allen. Revolted.
5: You don't see me going down to the phone company complaining about your affairs.
6: I have none to complain about. It figures. What do you mean, it figures?
5: Well, obviously. You're a woman who lives alone, doesn't like it.
6: I happen to like living alone.
5: Look, I don't know what's bothering you, but don't take your bedroom problems out on me.
6: I have no bedroom problems. There's nothing in my bedroom that bothers me.
5: Oh, that's too bad.
6: Mr. Allen, let's try to be adult about this and and work out some sort of schedule where I can make my business calls and you can make your... Whatever you call the calls you make. Now. From the hour to the half-hour, the phone will be yours. From the half-hour to the hour, it will be mine. Should either of us receive a call during the other's half-hour, he or she will terminate the conversation as quickly as possible. In emergencies, each will exercise a little tolerance. How does that sound?
5: Like a report from the United Nations.
6: You mean you disagree?
5: No. It might work.
6: Well, I hope so. I understand that we're going to have to share this party line for at least another month. We'll just have to try living with one another. Well? I was waiting for you to make some off-color remark.
5: Miss Morrow, is that all you have on your mind?
6: Never mind my mind. You stick to your half hour and I'll stick to mine.
1: Is that your favorite one out of the three?
2: I think it is. I think the, the dialogue is pretty... Sharp and yeah, I think so. Yeah, and Thelma Ritter. I mean, <laughs> I can't uh, I, anything that she's in. I'll, I, I mean, I was just cackling away today watching her alone.
0: That scene <laughs> with, with her and Rock Hudson in the bar <laughs> when she drinks him under the table is yeah. fucking she's such a clown.
2: <laughs> That's the bit when he's he stops her on the road and says, uh, I'll take you to a bar down here, and she goes, I know a better one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's pretty perfect. But again, that that was a really weird one that she got an Oscar nomination for, even though she is brilliant in it. Right. And the other two were ignored completely. It's like, we'll only acknowledge you if you stick to comedy and what, you know, singing tunes.
0: Right. If you stick to the place that we've built for you in Hollywood. It's also funny, though. And I mean, I'm not the only, I'm not the first person to have said this, but her characters were always career women who weren't really interested in uh, marriage or who didn't need men. And very independent. Yeah. Well, I read it's called the
1: almost independent woman was a characterization of the time. So she is independent until the point of love in which she does then able to get. And, and that was a stereotype of the times. Do you know what I mean? There's only, right. There was a limited ability that you could do uh, uh, within that framework. So, But it does, at least at the beginning, show this person who was uh, content to live alone. It's only until the Cupid's arrow hits you that you're like, oh, I didn't know what I was missing. That Rock Hudson, which which Rock Hudson
0: can shoot a fucking thousand arrows in my in
1: my.
0: my Those legs when they're in that tub and his big ass long leg is sticking out of that tub and you just want those thighs to crush your skull. She
1: talks about how (laughs) sexy that was. She talks.
0: Did she talk about wanting her her skull to be crushed by Rock Hudson's thighs? We we
1: did as much as we could during that time. We pushed it pretty far.
0: Oh God. (laughs)
1: Fuck.
0: Fuck. Sorry, I'm having a moment.
1: <laughs> you, okay, so you wonder what I'm obsessed with, Chris, that I started getting into? Yes. Her TV show. Her bizarre, like, unprecedented TV show that is so wild. I mean, I okay, so when I say get into it, I watched the first couple episodes of the first season, and then because of its notoriety, I had to just see the about what the face they do for season five, and
0: it is like... A cultural examination of the times. Do you know about this, Nick? I don't I don't know about that. I know that they switched it every season, but tell me about that wackadoo switch for season five. So,
1: well, season one, it's like she's a divorcee, which I guess was all the rage, right? Like everyone was divorced with kids back in that time. It was like very Brady Bunchy kind of I- ideology. And she's divorced, really missing her husband, moves back in with like Ma and Pa Kettle. Um, you know, in the sticks, like right outside of San Francisco with her two boys. And it's very wholesome and it's very cute. And then as the seasons start progressing, she starts going in and out of San Francisco until she finally moves her kids to San Francisco, the whole family story is gone. They never mention Mon again. Then she's living above an Italian pizza. I'm not kidding. An Italian pizza <laughs> restaurant. And then those people are big cast characters. And then, like season four or five, the kids are gonzos. The Italian restaurant is gone. She's just a single working lady working at a newspaper. And. <laughs> <laughs> without missing a beat without missing a beat (laughs) the kids are just disappeared never mentioned no 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 husband that died no mom-pa cattle and no little boys to raise it's amazing i'm obsessed with it (laughs) because it's because they're saying the changing and she (laughs) because it was like the changing of the times too they're like that's kind of that's kind of what they were doing was this divorce thing but then by the time she was wrapping up the networks one were more interested in doing like a Mary Tyler Moore vibe. And so, and so they were just like, well, Hey, I guess just do this. And let's just, let's just keep it rolling. We don't have to say shit. Your door is day. It was bananas and they use case. I think too, as the theme song, it's really weird. Have you seen it, Chris? It's weird.
2: I've seen enough. I've seen enough. (laughs) I wasn't a fan. Right. I, I, I only watched a couple and I thought oh bless her, she got screwed over by the husband and he signed her up for this awful thing that she didn't want to right. do but had to because she had no money so um, then, like, she did it, it very she graciously did anything again. No. Which was, that
1: was kind oh, of I she was like I'm done well, I'm interested
0: she, in her last TV show which was on the Christian Broadcasting Network <laughs> which is Doris and her best friends
1: which, are, people who, which are, best, are friends who can't speak they just bark and meow
0: so tell us about that. Tell us about her whole transition into just becoming an animal rights activist.
2: Well, she had had this horrendous, you know, life um, and and was broke. And uh, I think she just had a fed, fed up with human beings. So, you know, animals never let you down. And uh, I think she found her calling in later life. She had, before we forget, <laughs> you do know that she was offered and it was written for her, Murder, She Wrote. And she turned it down. (laughs)
0: She was offered murder,
2: she wrote? Yeah, originally. She was the one. No. They were trying to get her out of retirement, and she said, no. So it could have been a whole different story.
0: Oh, my. Well, that would have been. That would have not been Christian, because that's our God.
1: (laughs) That took my. That took. took All my breath away. Wow. Nothing like
0: just getting 40 minutes into the interview and stabbing us in the gut with a knife. (laughs) Whatever will be, will
1: be, and that will not be, sir. (laughs) There is only one God in heaven, and her name is Jessica Fletcher, played by (laughs) Angela Lansbury.
2: Of course. Well, she also turned down Mrs. Robinson. It's very true. Although I think that was a wise move because, again, the person who got it was the right person. Uh, and there was a remake to right. Pillow Talk. Did Amazing, you
1: know that? Like, and she she had sent a note. Yeah. <laughs> Chris was like, "No, no, it was not just they were do a Remake to it. Um, oh, with God, who? No. Um, I don't know. I think it was about her. About um, her and Rock Hudson's character's daughter. I think that that was kind of what they're angling for. Like a twenty-year, yeah.
2: yeah. It just sounds I absolutely would... horrendous.
1: Well, she she made the choice. She said no, no, no. She just said no, no, no to everything
2: she did unless they could make it be filmed in carmel because she didn't want to leave the dogs that was the and then she was going to do a film maybe with clint eastwood because he was her neighbor and they got on well but it never happened it was sad that she didn't get like a driving miss daisy moment or something like that
0: Um, or a mirror has two faces moment this is my most badass this is my
1: favorite favorite thing about our true elusive chanteuse Mariah Carey, step off this is our real
0: elusive chanteuse um, <laughs> this is the second time we've compared her to Mariah Carey in this episode. <laughs> I, like it. <laughs> I here, like it.
1: Only here, only here, is when she, is when she gets the um, what is it, what is it, the Presidential Medal or whatever from George W. Bush, and she literally says why. Wait, she's like, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be rude, but why am I getting this award and then just doesn't go and get it? Because she hated flying, I guess, too, and the dog, She can fly with our hundred dogs, but Love she it.
0: wouldn't go. She didn't go pick up her honorary Oscar or her Kennedy Center Oscar. She was like, I'm too busy brushing my sixty-two dogs. Yeah, I think it's iconic. Got, I think it's like the it's the biggest diva move I've ever seen of any of the divas we've covered.
2: Well, I think I think the business was a bit snooty with her. And I think she probably got fed up with all that too. I think they just, because there's a story about when she did um, the film with Kirk Douglas and Lauren Bacall, and she was really young then called young man with a horn. They didn't speak to her. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Try ordering that one. I've A few of those in my day. (laughs) And, um, but they didn't speak to her on the set and Lauren Bacall and Kirk Douglas were sitting in the corner laughing and pointing at her and uh, they just treated as the turn, like the, the, the band singer, who is trying to break into the acting game. And it was one of the most unpleasant parts of her career. She said, and I think that, that stuck with her. I think, I think people thought, no, you just stick to the comedy love and live, leave the acting to the big girls sort of thing. And I feel that that's why I've always defended her for years, because I think people still have that like patronizing kind of view of her, um, just being t for two.
0: It's so funny how we have that sometimes. I mean, we feel that a lot with Bet. You know, like the the need to defend the diva or finding the diva who, of course, is like remarkable and famous and lauded, but also a bit off the beaten track. Like I find that so often the the one that we we gaze hold on to is the one who kind of got roughed up a little bit because we identify with that we identify with being underestimated and undervalued
2: totally well i, I mean I, that's another reason i sort of carry her with me because as an actor who predominantly does comedy um i know that f- i've been there i'm on the receiving end of people who think unless you've got snot coming out of your nose and you're screaming uh over your dead children on stage that that's not acting that's you know if you make people laugh it's kind of you know, you're a turn. Somebody did call with me all at once. Uh, oh, you're the turn. <laughs> mm. And I think Doris had that to deal with as well. I think she, you know, was seen as a turn, really. She did say the comedy is the hardest thing. S- and she's right. She says comedy is like the lesser thing in, in movies and theater. It's the lesser Have thing. Have
0: you seen the her last film, which has the craziest title? I can't even think of it right now. It's like 12 it's Kids it's Get a si-
2: Coconut. With six, you get egg I mean, my God, what were yeah. they thinking with that?
0: <laughs> oh, I kind of want to watch it though, because our diva Barbara Hershey is in it. She is. She is.
1: I think it yes. was about like the cheaper by the dozen kind of thing of that time. Talk about. I mean, she really was such a representation of the time, and the films are such time capsules. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And so they So that was like kind of the rush, like a bunch of pair, bunch of bl- a blended family kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, no she did some absolute turkeys as it went, I mean, was that, a that one, well, I've never got the whole way through it really because it's just annoys me, but I think she did mention it as one of the last later films that she did quite enjoy making because she loved kids and, and there's a dog in it and, and it was her, la- her third, her third husband's um, only uh, producing credit that he did on his own. So she kind of had fond memories of it, but no, that one in Caprice is an up, that's an absolute. I can't bear watching that. It, it upsets me too much because she's she's like Don. She's like Orange, in it, and the, she just looks absolutely horrendous. And it's yeah, oh, no. it's, a, it's the most god awful film a spy caper it, when spy movies are all in. You know that kind of with Richard Harris. I love yeah. those.
0: I mean, I do love those 60s spy movies. I really do.
2: Well, not this one. Um, give,
0: give us another Bop. What are what are some like some of the deep cuts that the kids aren't going to know that they need to put onto their Doris Day playlist right now?
2: Well, most of my most of my favorite songs are all the slow ones. But um, the the one that got away, the one part, I mean, my God, it was really bad luck. And again, that bloody husband, um, Marty Melcher, she really wanted the part of Nellie Forbush in South Pacific when they came to do the movie. <gasps> and it was coming to her it was she was going to get it and then unbeknownst to her the bloody husband went behind her back and asked for too much money and the studio went cheerio and gave it to Mitzi Gaynor. and she was truly gutted i think oh. that was the only time that she really felt really sad about losing a part like that because and she would have been phenomenal i mean she is nelly forbush she would have got the drama and the she would have
0: had the she would have had the oscar for that definitely yeah
2: yeah, yeah, I kinda of think she that would have suited her to the ground.
0: Oh fuck, I yeah, didn't that know that. That is really a, sad. Did she ever record any of the songs?
2: And that's why I brought it up. Yeah, she did she did um Wonderful Guy. <laughs> Which I think it, it could have possibly been written for it because the lyrics are just so I'm as, you know, listen to the lyrics it's just hilarious, it's so Doris
3: Day. I'm as corny as Kansas in August, I'm as normal as blueberry pie no more a smart little girl with no heart I have found me a wonderful guy I- in a conventional dither with a conventional star in my eye and you will note there's a lump in my throat when i speak of that wonderful guy i'm as trite and as gay as a daisy and may a cliche come true i'm bromidic and bright as a moon happy night pouring light on the dew as corny as kansas in august high as a flag on the 4th of july if you'll excuse an expression i use i'm in love 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 with the wonderful guy
2: so it would have been and i could see her singing them i'm gonna wash that man right out of your hair. all of that it would have and then the ballads it was a real crime but yeah, you know
1: what song Nick and I are—we were just discussing that we're really into it, and I think she loves it because it's like about a horse. Is Stu Ball?
2: <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> this recording. Love this Ball. recording's
0: amazing.
2: That's like one. That's the one of her last recordings. She loves it really? too because it's about a horse.
6: Old Stu Ball was a racehorse, and I
3: wish he was mine. He never drank water He always drank wine His bridle was silver And his mane it was gold And the worth of his saddle Has never been told
6: now the fairgrounds were
4: crowded
6: and Stew ball was there, but the betting was heavy on the bay and the mare.
3: You can bet on the gray mare, and you can you bet on If you'd have bet on Old Stewball, you'd be a rich man
2: today. It's a really strange album, if I remember rightly, uh, where she sings Disney girls and weird shit like that, and Crocodile Rock. It's just a bit this weird. Oh like my Beach gosh! Well, you, everyone has to
0: cover Croc. She does Octopus's Garden on it. I know. So that's because we what haven't even talked thinking? about
1: Terry. Yeah, been talked
0: about Terry, beautiful Terry, her
1: son. Because Terry was doing Beach Boys stuff, that's why she was probably getting that material.
2: Yeah, and the birds and all that. Uh, Yeah, but he could have picked better songs than that. God, she was. (laughs) She could have done some. That's what I wanted to do.
1: (laughs) What I want, I know. I wanted to do when we were doing the because Nick and I do the Who's podcast. For I did want to do this podcast is for a sonagers. Oh, sonagers! Because there's not that many son manager son managing their momagers.
0: Yeah, that's true. I can't even think of another sonager.
1: And Terry managed her career too. forever until on his unfortunate death.
2: Yeah, he was yeah, they they adored each other. Um very 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 close. Um and you know about the Charles Manson thing. That's I mean, my god, mm-hmm. the woman had the most traumatic most She's had the most traumatic life and yet she's like known as this like This is actually every, crazy. everything's perfect. But like she Wait, really did have What didn't happened bad with luck.
0: Charles Manson?
2: He was going well, to them. It, it, he approached Terry uh, because he was a record producer and wanted to re- him to record h- him singing. And he'd played him some tapes. And Terry had said, look, I'm really not interested. Da, 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 da. Flash forward, he moves house. And uh, he was thinking he was going out with Candace Bergen at the time. They were, had been living in this house, renting yeah. it. And they moved out. And then not long after that, uh, Charles Manson and his crew broke in. And that's... Where Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate had been living, and that's oh, where. It, fuck. That's where, and they think it could have been th- that that assassinate that murder, could have been meant for Terry. So they had to have a year of just round-the-clock uh, bodyguards. It must be terrifying for them. The well, Doris,
0: life. fucking God, Doris, I
1: guess said be, uh, because like t- Charles was already being crazy, and Doris was like, "You have to move out." you have to move out of that house. They moved to Malibu and Doris says like, you know, I thought I would, I would have lost my son. Otherwise, like I really have this premonition and <gasps> yeah. begged him to
0: get out, him and Candace to get out of the house. I wish they would have had Daryl Hannah play Doris Day in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
2: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> or Uma. Uma could have done it. Yeah.
2: Uma, Uma would have be been great. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: speaking of if they were to make a movie of Doris Day's life, Let's do a casting session. Who would you cast uh, as Doris Day?
2: Oh, oh God! Well, I've always like she's too old now, obviously, but um, I've always seen Sally Field as a kind of next. If mm. if if Doris had oh, yeah. been born I then, I think herself? she would have been a similar kind of vibe. But uh, I don't know. Kerry Mulligan would have been quite good, Doris. <laughs> I think, and she can sing.
0: Oh, Kerry uh, Mulligan. A little Carrie Mulligan, Doris. I just oh, did a Carrie or, Mulligan. Um, I did.
2: Kurt Kristen. What do you call her? Kiki oh, Dunst. Kiki
0: Dunst. Kiki
2: Dunst. Kiki Dunst. Kiki Dunst. That's the one. I think she'd be great. That's
0: perfect.
2: There we go. She'd Cast. be
0: amazing. We're huge Kiki Dunst. The, uh, she's a huge center of this podcast universe. <laughs> oh, I'm now just fucking thinking of that South Pacific, that Doris Day South Pacific. I'm just dying at that idea.
2: She did not do theater? Did she? No, I think she was. She because she'd grown up in the band singing with the bands with Bob Hope and people like that and Les Brown orchestra. Um, she never went back to that and she got offered millions to go to, to do Las Vegas, but she I think she got staged, she just oh, didn't feel a comfortable. Day Vegas
0: act would have been,
2: oh, yeah. it Amazing. would have been
0: so fucking good though. That's the perfect thing you want to see in Vegas,
2: yeah. Yeah. But even the TV shows that she recorded, like the Doris Marianne Kappelhoff (laughs) show with Perry Como, that's all canned laughter. So it's not even she's not even performing in front of an audience. So I think she just had a had a fear of of live TV and live shows. So it was a shame.
0: I want to give a little tip of my hat to Miss Doris Day for when she had Rock Hudson on her Christian Broadcasting Network show when he was dying of AIDS.
2: Totally. Yeah, that's it it's such a sweet moment yeah
6: and I
8: suppose you'd like a cookie now here
6: there you are did my biggest get oh. tired
2: no
8: I did
6: oh you <laughs> <laughs> I walked you around pretty good
5: yeah you did yeah
6: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so good to see you oh it's. I great miss those you. laughs we used to have
8: oh me too
6: I do we had fun. I haven't so much had a fun. good
8: laugh like that since
6: we really had fun making movies yeah didn't we
8: yeah I wish we'd made more
6: we should do it again.
8: Yeah, we should. What, what was it? your favourite movie that we did?
6: What was my favourite?
8: Mm-hmm.
6: I think I liked Pillow Talk. Pillow Talk? Yeah. yeah. Did you?
8: No, I liked uh, Ice Station Zebra.
6: <laughs> you rat!
2: <laughs> and her little int- introduction to it after he had passed and it was aired, she did a little speech before they aired it, and it's really mm-hmm. touching and really... Honest and truthful and warm. And, oh, it's beautiful. It sums her up. And he said, Eunice. That's what he called
6: me. Don't ask me why, but he he said, whenever I think of you as Eunice, it makes me laugh. So it was okay. And he said, I'll be there. You can count on me. And that was the truth. All his friends, and there were so many, could always count on Rock Hudson. Not only was he a very talented, dramatic actor, as we all know, his favorite thing was comedy. And he always said to me, the best time I've ever had was making comedies with you. And I really felt the same way. We had a ball. Um, As I reflect, On his arrival in Carmel, I can only tell you, my friends, that it was a heartbreaking time for me to see him. He didn't talk about his illness, not one time. He just said, Eunice, I've had the flu, and I can't gain weight. And I said, you've come to the right place, my darling, because I'm going to put weight on you. I'm going to force feed you. (laughs) And we laughed. And he said, I just can't gain, and I have no appetite. And, of course, I felt that he wasn't feeling well enough to work. And I told him, I said, you know, nothing is as important as your health. You don't have to do this show, and I don't want you to. I want you to forget it. I want you to just stay in Carmel for a while and relax and enjoy it. And he said, forget it. I came here to do your show. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he did. That's what he did, and he was wonderful.
1: She said when she hugged him, she said she knew that that was the last. She said we, we embraced, and it was a really ex- an yeah. extended embrace. And she knew that once he got back on that plane for his treatment, which I think was in Paris, that she knew that that was mm. gonna, that was going to be it. that was going to be a Yeah,
2: for she was. She begged him to stay with. She was going to put him in his get, in the guest house, and she was just going to make him soup and look after him. But he he wouldn't. Yeah. he wouldn't stay. Yeah. Oh.
1: I remember, she said, you're so skinny, but that's because you're not eating my food.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: I bet she was a good fucking cook.
2: Yeah. But the dog's out well.
0: <laughs> Shit. I can't get over that when when Doris Day passed away. This is the most two-
1: iconic thing
0: ever. What, when she died?
1: Yes, her di- her her dying wishes are, I'm, obs- I'm like, I wish yes. I could be this big of a freaking diva.
0: She was like, "No service, no party. Just cremate me and auction all of my shit off, and all of the proceeds go to the fucking dogs."
2: Yeah, what a woman. Yeah, it's
0: everything. She
1: she was like, she she doesn't even have a um. She was like, "I want an unnamed gravestone." Mm-hmm. Come find me, bitches!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I fucking dare you. She was like, "Fuck fame, fuck all of this." I totally. love
2: that totally. You you know you're, you've, you're associated with a famous person is when you when you switch your phone on after it's been off for an hour or so, and uh, you get about 60 texts from people going, oh my God, I'm so sorry for your loss. I was like, what has happened? And it was literally everyone I knew was messaging me because they'd heard that she'd died. And <laughs> I was in rehearsal, so I didn't get it until I'd turned my phone on. Mm-hmm. And I panicked for a minute because I thought, oh my God, what's happened? That's how associated I am oh with God, her, with my friends. What did you do?
0: <laughs> what was your morning process like? I can't even imagine it.
2: I always thought she'd just be around. And I, I I, I was sad. I was sad. I think I just played her a lot more than I usually do, which is a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, her music has been, I think I listen to her every day. So she's got me through so much. Uh,
1: Chris, we're all on a party line. And <laughs> this is where uh, you, uh, someone's calling in for you, and so you kick us off. That person calling into you is Doris Day. You got <gasps> just one connection to her. And you can say whatever you want.
2: Oh, hi, Doris. Thanks for that beautiful smile. Thanks for keeping me going when days are dark. Thank you for your music. Thank you for your talent, your generosity, your spirit, and thank you for this amazing legacy that you've left us all. Um, I've learned so much from you, and I know I will continue to learn from you because every song I listen to, I hear a different way each time. You're a wonder, and I love you.
0: <laughs> oh we're back on the party line that was beautiful <laughs> oh that was gorgeous chris if the children were if with everything that's going on in the world and how tough everything is right now and you're talking about doris being an extra comfort what's uh what's a song we could go out on that is a like a, a comfort blanket to you a security doris will make the world feel better song
2: oh uh, i think there's there's one that's it could have been written for her and it's it's pretty much sums up her outlook in life and what i try to uh aspire to it's called uh, life is just a bowl of cherries and it sums her up i think her delivery of the song and the sentiment yeah and that voice which is perfect
0: that's perfect we're gonna go out with a little life is just a bowl of cherries and <laughs> um Chris, thank you for coming on. Thank, thank you, you for honey. everyone for tuning no, and you. you can also find us on Patreon where we have bonus episodes every week. Go back and listen to old episodes and uh, be sure to find Christopher Logan uh, anywhere he's performing because he's a genius. What else, Jay? Uh,
1: well, I don't know. Yes. I just, I'm just i just so proud of us. We did it for the girls that have traveled across the sea to talk about
0: American icon Doris Day. The only we way that you did. can. Thanks Thank for you. coming, Chris. We love you. Come back again soon.
2: I'd love to. I'd love to. You could do one in on Thelma Ritter next. Bye, Chris. <laughs> love you. Bye. Oh, yes. Oh, Thelma Ritter. Come back <laughs> for the Thelma Ritter episode. You heard it here first. <laughs> Lots of love. Thanks, I. No.
3: People are queer They're always crowing Scrambling and rushing about Why don't they stop someday Talk to themselves this way Why are we here Where are we going It's time that we found out We're not here to stay We're on a short hard day Life is just a bowl of cherries Don't make it
6: serious
3: It's too mysterious You work, you save You worry so But you can't take your dough When you go, go So keep repeating, it's the berries, the strongest oak must fall, the sweet things in life, to you were just love, how can you Life is just a bowl of cherries.